Welcome, everybody, to the F1 Runoff Area Podcast. I'm Amir. I'm Charles. And we're glad you found us. And first of all, huge thanks to our friend K-Strobes, that's with a Z, for letting us use a clip of that song. Uh, so funny. Uh, the aptly named track, No Michael, No No, <laughs> obviously inspired by the events of the uh, 2021 uh, F1 finale in Abu Dhabi. If you'd like to hear the whole track, which we'd encourage you to do, just Google K Strobes with a Z and No Michael No and have a listen. Hello, Charles. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Amir? Doing well. Thank you. Um, so in today's episode, we're going to begin a series of episodes in which we profile and preview each of the 10 F1 teams and their drivers. It's a reverse grid lineup. So we're going to go in reverse order uh, from the 2021 Constructors uh, standings. So we are going to start today with the 10th and 9th place teams from 2021, Haas and Alfa Romeo. And so let's get to it. We'll we'll start with Haas. So first of all, Haas has obviously been all over the news lately with the the Ukraine situation and... uh, Mazepin getting dropped, and now Magnuson uh, coming in at the last minute. So we'll, we'll get to all that in uh, in just a moment. But first, I thought I'd just set things up with some basic facts about Team Haas for our listeners who might uh, benefit from that. Um, so Haas entered F1 in 2016. Um, it's an American team, the only U.S.-based team uh, currently. I think most... Uh People would be familiar with Haas in the United States for um, NASCAR, having a NASCAR team. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit of a leap for the Formula One team. Exactly. Um, and I think they do have operations in the UK as well. So you sometimes see them listed as US slash UK, but um, I'm going to think of them as the uh, the only US team currently. Um, and of course, their drivers last year were uh, Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin. Uh, this year, it's going to be Schumacher, of course, again, but now with uh, Kevin Magnuson. Yeah, we initially prepared this uh, with a different driver lineup, uh, and yeah, the yeah. the events of uh, the past, the recent events have uh, have have changed things quite a bit. Yeah. yeah, it's been it's been a wild turn of events. So so here we are. Um, the team principal is Gunter Steiner, and um, might be helpful to just recap. Team Haas performance over the last, um, well, I put the la- I was going to do five years, but I did six since they've only been around for six. So might as well tack on the extra one and, and do the whole history. So they arrived on the scene in 2016, finished eighth in the constructors with 29 points. 2017, eighth again with 47 points. 2018, up to fifth with 93 points. So quite a hot start for a new team and then 2019 dropped off quite a bit so from that 93 points in 2018 down to 28 points in 2019 finished ninth uh 2020 finished ninth again now with just three points and then last year 2021 just a rough year uh finishing 10th uh with zero points the switch to the design to the 2022 car you know putting all their resources there but it certainly looked like they were probably headed for zero points regardless uh, from the season before. Yeah, that's that's true. So, yeah, they had a really strong start as a new team, and then they just faded 
And uh, as you alluded to, they said in 2021, we're going to stop developing the current car and really focus on the, the rule change and get our car in order for 2022. So uh, we'll see what, uh, what that how that pays off. What that brings, yeah. But, you know, all the teams are going to have their best foot forward this year, quote unquote. Um, and I think a lot of teams stopped developing their cars last year, um, you know, at least to the back half of the grid pretty early on. So how much of an advantage that will really give them, uh, probably not a whole lot. Agreed. Uh, but we'll see. Um, you know, yeah. I think Magnuson will bring some stability, I think, to the team that uh, – well, maybe stability is not the right word but because uh, he was out for a couple of years but uh, or for a season. Maturity. Or right, season. Yeah. But, yeah, experience. He'll bring experience yeah. to the team that uh, hopefully can help them uh, sort the new car. Um, you know, would be would be better even than, than Fittipaldi probably in that in that regard. Yeah. Um, so that's a little summary of, of Team Haas. Um, the let's turn to the drivers. And Charles, who do we start with? We've got Schumacher, who's the incumbent Haas driver, having having driven with them uh, last year in his rookie season. But Magnussen is actually the more experienced driver, and even has more experience with Haas, even though he's been out for a year. Uh, yeah. Preference on who to start with? Is well, there a number one driver on the team now? Well, I I mean. <laughs> I'm sure they have no official number one driver. Um, the number one driver in terms of the future is, of course, Mick Schumacher. Magnuson's really, Magnuson is really there to provide the experience and uh, that. But, yeah, so I, I don't know how they're going to um, rate, you know, uh, in the team. But it's probably a pretty equal, uh, equal partnership in that regard. Um, but certainly Mick, Mick, certainly Mick Schumacher is the one everyone's got their eye on. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start with uh, Mick Schumacher then. Um, and here I'll do my basic facts uh, summary to start us off, but feel free to jump in with any any additional points. I have to start first with, as I do with all the young, younger, or less experienced or rookie drivers, is he started karting at the age of nine. Age of nine. Let's just give that some relevance, or uh, let's get that out there because uh, this is what these guys do. They're basically professional drivers, starting from the age when most of us are still coloring in our coloring books, <laughs> yeah. so to speak. Exactly. That's amazing. It's a professional endeavor from the age of nine. Not not, not only if you're, of course, Michael Schumacher's son, but any any right. of these any of these drivers. Most of them started, um, except for the rare exception, um, which we will get to eventually. But most of them started at a pretty pretty young age. Yeah, and it's crazy that Mick Schumacher was nine. Um, that was only two thousand and eight. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. He, he's born. I got I got some uh, vital statistics here. That's a whole uh, other podcast, Amir. Whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, born March twenty second, uh, nineteen ninety nine. So he's twenty two years old. Um, just for a couple more days, though, we're almost upon uh, his birthday, March twenty second. Uh, born in Switzerland, but he races under the German flag, and of course, he's the son of seven time F one champion. Uh, German, uh, Michael Schumacher. Um, F1 career debuted in 2021. Last year uh, was part of the Haas all-rookie lineup with Mazepin. I feel like the stats from last year are almost meaningless just because, you know, firstly, the car was so bad, but you got the two rookie drivers and um, prevailing, not a whole lot of prevailing respect for Mazepin's abilities, even though he actually did have a pretty successful F2 uh, two career. But um, so... You know, let's hear them, but yeah. um, it's still more sort of uh, hard. I think this year, that's one of the things that's interesting about Magnuson coming in. It's really going to be a better benchmark to see 
how quick Schumacher really is. Yeah, um, that will be interesting. Um, so, yeah, just a, a little bit on the stats. Um, Schumacher's best um, qualifying position was 14th in Turkey. Best finish was 12th in Hungary. And, you know, was pretty regularly finishing 16th to 18th and that kind of thing and higher. Um, so just a rough season. Um, but head-to-head with Mazepin, he pretty much dominated Mazepin yeah. uh, throughout the season. Out qualifying him, I think, pretty much every time. And, you know, finishing uh, ahead of Mazepin uh, almost all the time as well. So... Definitely dominated uh, Mazepin in his rookie year. A pretty con- conclusive defeat. Um, of course, Mazepin had a, a chassis that was four kilograms heavier, I believe. Uh, correct? That's right, which <laughs> I think we calculated. We did some heavy math here, 8.8 pounds. Yeah, could, could make a difference, of course. But yeah. uh, I think you know, I, I think most people think that even if that wasn't the case, if he had the same exact chassis, that Schumacher still would have been quite a bit ahead. For me, Mick Schumacher is an interesting um, case. He did win the uh, F3 Euro Championship in 2018. Um, and then, of course, he won the uh, F2 title in 2020. Um, his 2019 F2 season wasn't super great. It wasn't bad. Um, I do believe he had a sprint race win, I think. Um, no feature race wins, I, I don't believe. Um, but, you know, you're forgiven for your first year in F2, right? Not everybody pulls an Oscar Piastri and, and wins it at the, first, um, at the first go. And he did win the, you know, F3 Euro Series. So you, got, you win a championship, you progress up the next level. Um, and he certainly didn't do bad in 2019. Now, of course, in 2020, he wins the thing. And, uh, you know, he's on his way to, to Formula One. Um, and certainly has earned that, that spot. But it, for me, it wasn't a dominating championship like that. It wasn't yeah. like Oscar, Oscar Piastri, even in his second year. It was like a consistent cruise. Mm-hmm. I forgot how many wins he had, um, but it was sort of a, a more points-collecting win. I don't think he had any polls, or if he did, it was maybe one. Um, <clears throat> still a very impressive season, Sure, but the old adage of you can't make a slow race car driver any faster, but you can calm down a wild one who's fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that would sort of be the worry. Then again, a lot of times what young guys in Formula One don't have is that discipline and control um, and consistency to pull down a championship, even if they can, you know, are very fast and can put down um, some poles and, yeah. and other things or, or convincingly faster than their teammate maybe. Um, so he's got – he's shown he's got the that consistency. part. Yeah. Does he have that knife-edge speed? Um, and – for last year, we can't tell because nobody rates Mazepin, and he was a rookie as well, too. Um, so right. this year, we've got Magnuson. He's a much more known quantity. Yeah. Um, so I think that, for me, that's the most interesting about this this pairing. Yeah, that that will be interesting to watch now that he's got the new benchmark. Um, and, and Magnuson even has experience with Haas, so he doesn't quite have the you know, the ramp up necessary for someone, for a driver who's totally ice cold to the team, you know, he kind of knows how things work and can uh, slip in. Just one year out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think it was just one year. I think, yeah, it was just one year. Um, And to your point about Schumacher's uh, 2020 season in F2, his championship, even looking at the final standings, I mean, it was very tight. It wasn't a dominating performance um, just in points. Like I'm looking at the top three here. Yuki Sonoda, third with 200 points. Uh, Callum Illett, 
second with 201 points and then Schumacher with 215. So real tight. I mean, it could have gone, you know, any direction with the, with those three, uh, really just came down to one race, uh, yeah. difference between them. And, and saying that, uh, those three names, two of them are in formula one. The third is languishing in IndyCar. Yeah. <laughs> Not Callum exactly a, a bad motorsports, uh, career destination. Um, but like you said, kind of came down to one race could have been any of them um each of those three deserving as each of those three is deserving of a formula one seat um yeah. you know and i i still wouldn't rule uh callum Elliott out for uh you know the future he might he might end up in a ferrari seat or a ferrari junior team seat at some point mm-hmm. and just to uh, you know round out the top five from that 2020 f2 season robert schwartzman fourth with 177 and there's nikita mazepin fifth with 164 so Three of those made it to F1, although one is already gone. Yeah, so that's kind of the setup for Schumacher. What else should we talk about uh, about Michael Schumacher? I'm sorry, about Mick Schumacher. <laughs> um, bit of a Freudian slip there. Yeah. Um, I think for me, that's the, the, you know, obviously we're not doing a comprehensive uh, review of, of, of the drivers' careers and teams. But for me, the focus um, of my attention this year on the Haas team is going to be uh, the benchmark that Magnuson's going to set for Schumacher. I feel like this will be a, a much better year for us to determine really how fast Schumacher is. Because um, Magnuson is a, not only a known quantity, but he's a good shoe. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it'll be great to see, uh, you know, really see how they, how they do against each other. Um, yeah, and it's for Schumacher, he's got the, all the uh, growing pains of his rookie year behind him now. And now he's got a mentor. You know, he does have a whole brand new car to deal with and a bunch of rule changes. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how all, how all of that shakes out. Yeah. So what do you got for me on Magnuson? Yeah, so let's Give turn to Kevin Magnuson. Uh, so the, the basic facts, born October 5th, 1992. So he's 29 years old, getting a little long in the tooth for F1, but there's always Alonzo still, I guess, uh, <laughs> to make everyone feel young. Um, he's Danish. And um, he's the son of four-time Le Mans GT class winner and former F1 driver, Jan Magnussen. So similar to Schumacher, he's got it in the family. How much do you know about his father, Jan? Very little. Well, it's, it's interesting that you mention Jan Magnussen as the four-time uh, Le Mans GT class champion um, because I think of him as the Formula One bust. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, when I think of Kevin Magnuson, I think I think of him as the son of Jan, who's actually had a more successful and longer career um, than Jan did. But that is, of course, downplaying the considerable success that Jan has had outside of Formula One. Right. Uh, Formula One is not the be all and end all of motorsports, even if uh, sometimes somebody like me <laughs> starts to think that. Yeah, agreed. And I'll summarize Magnuson's F1 career a little bit. Debuted in 2014 with McLaren. Uh, raced for McLaren in 2014 and 15, then went to Renault for 2016, moved over to Haas in 2017, and raced for Haas uh, for four seasons, 2017 to 2020, most of that uh, alongside Grosjean. Haas let him go after two after 2020, um, but uh, of course with the, with the turn of events here, he's back suddenly just on the scene in the last uh, few days. So and and Haas, yeah. I think, was trying to at the end of 2020 start fresh with two rookies, and obviously they were taking 
Um, one of the rookies had quite a bit of money. I don't know what Schumacher's uh, backing is in that regard, but Mazepin brought uh, considerable funds with him. Um, I think the team needed that and felt they needed that to uh, progress in this season um, in 2022 with the rule change. Um, so I think that's what drove that more so uh, than, you know, he, he and Groshen being sort of pushed out, you know, they kind of, I mean, they were effectively pushed out, but, um, you know, it was, a, it was a fresh start. And hence, you see, there mm. wasn't, wasn't any bad blood. Um, right. You know, no bridges burned and now he's back and uh, a second career uh, chance for him in F1. Um, he got to do a little bit outside. I think he did a one-off IndyCar race um, and, uh, and, and it was set to do a sports car season this year. Um, so he so, stayed, in, stayed in racing shape. Yeah. Can you imagine just the surprise of that whole turn of events? And he, he, where was he two weeks ago and where he is now? I mean, it's just... It, it's one thing to be dropped in for a race or two. Um, you know, Russell gets to sub. Of course, he's already in, in, the, in Williams, but he gets to sub for Hamilton out, out of nowhere, you know. It, um, and, and certainly there's been plenty of subs. Fittipaldi subbed twice for um, Groshan, I think, after his accident. Um, so it's it, it's out of the blue, and it's in, it's got to be, you know, amazing. But the difference here is they signed him to a multi-year deal. Mm-hmm. We haven't even started. It's not like, come on. Right. It starts going Let's good. You goes. are what we remember. Yeah. Hey, you know, or or even even here the, the whole year, we don't want to deal with trying to find somebody. We'll just sign you for the year. It's a multi-year deal to begin with. Yeah, <clears throat> um, I know. And they just announced that straight out. So that, um, yeah, he went from no F one drive. Your F one career is probably over. To twenty minutes later, he's got a multi-year deal in F one. Yeah, just um, incredible. With the worst team, but <laughs> <laughs> right, got to start. Well, restart somewhere, yeah. I guess. Um, so I went back to his 2020 results uh, just for, you know, just for some reference points here. His best grid was 13th in Turkey, best to finish 10th in Hungary. Um, and, you know, he was pretty much finishing anywhere from 13th to 18th throughout the season. So it wasn't, uh, as we've covered, it was not a good season. Yeah, but he was uh, bringing the car home probably where it deserved to be for them. You know, right. Majority of those. Yeah. And he finished uh, 20th in the driver's championship with a single point. Uh, Grosjean was 19th, by the way, with two points. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the setup for Magnuson. And one question I had to throw out was just how good uh, can we expect him to do getting in, you know, ice cold after a year out of an F1 car? And now it's not even his car. It's not even the car he drove. It's the team. It's the team he was with, which helps. But it's a brand new car with a lot of changes. Like you have some racing experience. Like what? How long would it take to warm up to the car um, from this situation? I, I don't think it's that significant in this situation. Um, first of all, it's only a year, right? Mm-hmm. And he did keep at least some racing sharp in that year. Um, now I think if the rules hadn't changed, it hadn't been the, been the if there hadn't been the big rule swap this year, then I think it would be more significant. But because of that, everyone's kind of on the same footing with the car. So when you said that he didn't have, you know, the same, it's not even the same car. Familiarity. No um, one does. Yeah, yeah. No one sort of does, and it's a it's a big. It'll be a big change probably in driving style this year. So I don't think that hurts him much. Really, honestly, what I think hurts him will hurt him the most, or, or a little bit, um, at least, is the fact that he's missed the testing. 
Um, he didn't yeah. get a taste of the, the first preseason test. And I believe, I know Fittipaldi drove uh, for the first day of the second that. test. Yeah. I don't know what's happening in the other two days of the second test. Right. Um, but um, he's lost some time there. So that adaptability time is there. Of course, that time is split between two drivers anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's not as significant. So I don't really think that's going to play into it too much. Yeah. You know, one other storyline for Haas that also applies to some other teams and is kind of a medium to long-term storyline is how is the new the budget cap going to affect uh, a team like Haas? You, they should stand to benefit from it the most, I would imagine, because, you know, they're at the back of the field and they're being outspent by the, the teams at the front. So the, the 2022 is going to be the second season under a budget cap. 2021, the cap was $145 million. 2022, it's 140 million. 2023, it'll go down to 135 million per team. And of course, there's exceptions for driver salary and other things. Um, and but, log- logistics, I believe, is one of the big mm, exceptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you you would think that Haas is going to benefit from this. It's gonna it's gonna take a while, but um, this should help to even things out a little bit and maybe maybe get them in the mix a little bit more than they have been. I don't know in detail how the cap works, but I would imagine it's going to take still a few years for the effects. You know, like the facilities of the top teams are still better right. and things like that, where it'll take a few years for it really to have a huge effect, uh, a huge equalizing effect. Um, but, yeah, you, you would you would imagine that Haas will see a pretty big uh, um, relative uh, advantage or an uh, evening of the playing field uh, in the next few years. Any predictions for 2022 for Team Haas and Schumacher and Magnussen? Hmm. I'm going to predict that I will have a clearer view on Mick Schumacher's ultimate talent uh, after this season. Yeah. Um, than I did, uh, than I would have had he still been teamed with uh, Mazepin this season. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think, I don't think we can expect Haas to really move up in the constructors. Um, and yeah, hard to make any predictions about Schumacher and Magnussen doing anything other than being at the back of the field. But as you said, it'll be interesting to see how Schumacher uh, measures up to Magnussen. Yeah, I, th- I think for the most, barring a uh, two or three place move up the grid, I think the storyline for Haas this year is going to be the intra-team battle um, and yeah. sort of the intra-team uh, battle and how that affects the, uh, Mick Schumacher's development. Okay. Well, yeah. So... A few takeaways from our discussion of Haas. Uh, they've been struggling badly last couple of years. We'll see if they can show signs of life this season with the rule change and now with Magnuson um, maybe bringing a spark to the team. And as Charles just said, it'll be interesting to see how Schumacher and Magnus how, how Schumacher measures up to Magnuson uh, now that he has a you know an established talent with with a experience. Uh, to be compared to in the in the same or comparable car, and yeah, let's see and let's see what Magnuson does jumping back into uh, F1 with presumably just days of notice. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And with that, we can close the book on Haas. Next up, Alfa Romeo. Okay, let's turn to Alfa Romeo now. Um, Charles, as I like to do, I've just pulled up some some basic. Um, facts about the team Uh, of course in 2022 the team's going to have the two drivers Valtteri Botas and Guanyang Zhou 
and they're a team based in Switzerland, which a lot of people think I've seen some tweets and such referring to them as an Italian team because, of course, the Alfa Romeo sponsorship. But they're actually based in Switzerland, I guess, because it's Sauber, really, yeah, right? Formerly the Sauber team. Yeah, I yeah. still have a hard time. It's the same thing with Aston Martin. I still think of, think of them as Force India. I have the same problem oh, yeah. with Alfa Romeo because it seems so new and they weren't, I mean, Alfa Romeo, of course, has a big history in Formula One in the beginnings, um, but, uh, you know, up until the recent rebranding, I don't think they've been involved except for maybe as an engine manufacturer in the 80s or 90s. And right. <clears throat> and, and actually, the engine manufacturer is not Alfa for the Alfa team, for this but, team. <laughs> but Ferrari. Yeah. Um, and so I went back a little just to kind of recap the performance of the team the last five years and kind of see what their trend is. Um, so going back to 2017 when they were still sauber, um, they finished 10th in the constructors. And then going forward to today from there, 2018, they were 8th. 2019, 8th. 2020, 8th. 2021, 9th. So not a lot of progress, a lot of stagnation. Um, but that's what they've been doing, uh, you know, the last few years. Of course, 2017, 2018 were still sauber. And then since 2019, it's been uh, alpha. And, you you know, it's the, the argument's going to be that they've been investing in the infrastructure. And I'm sure there's an influx with alpha branding the team now or buying the owning the team. Um, and, you know, when they signed Kimi Raikkonen, too, I think that was supposed to help with uh, gaining sponsors and uh, bring a little more money to the budget for the team. But as we'll talk about with, you know, as we've talked about with Haas and we'll talk about with uh, Williams as well, you know, it's a hard move. Once you're at the bottom of the field, it's hard to move up, and it's yeah. it's slow. It's, a, it's an uphill battle. And, of course, if you go down the grid, any team that isn't in the top three now is all on a resurgent and has all – just reshuffled and gotten the the key people they feel and invested in a bigger wind tunnel and you know et cetera et cetera so somebody's got to be at the back so if everyone's doing it how do you why are they going to move up you know it's uh right um you know so anyway yeah ideally going forward we'll see a little more you know maybe a little more variation from season to season even if everyone can't move up maybe it's different players you know at the front and different players at the back uh each each season, but we'll see how that goes. And um, just to just to cover kind of to the extent there's a trend in the last five years with this team, their high watermark for points in the last five years was 2019 with 57 points, 2018 with 48 points, and other than that, it's been just barely into double. Well, it's been single digits and just barely into double digits on points. So the there's not a favorable trend in, in what the team's been doing the last five years either but but maybe going forward that'll change so turning to the drivers in the upcoming season uh it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this team in particular because they're going to have two new drivers so it's kind of a, a fresh start uh for alpha uh, of course it's going to be botas and people say Zhu, but i've researched this as as have you i know and it's joe or we're going to say joe yeah, As I feel like you extend J-O-E. the J a little bit, show yeah, like that. I like that. Maybe that was a little too much. Right. So let's start with Botas, um, probably well-known to most of our listeners. Um, he's from Finland. He's born in 1989, so he's 32 years old. 
and debuted in F1 in 2013 with the Williams team. Drove for Williams uh, 2013 to 2016, then went to Mercedes, where uh, we've seen him uh, since 2016. And... Again, just recapping last five years of driver performance, um, he's been a pretty amazing driver. You know, it, it overshadowed certainly the last uh, few years, but just when I went back and looked at these statistics, um, so he, you know, in, in the drivers' um, championship in the last five years, starting with 2017, he's been third, fifth, second, second, third. Uh, so right there at the top. Um, it does seem like anything but second those years. Um, uh, last year aside, of course, 2021 aside, but anything other than second seems uh, not quite doing the job uh, there. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you know, they had the best car those years. Now, I realize that we had Ferrari challenging in 18, and we had Red Bull that didn't quite challenge, but was like almost there, and at some tracks, the high-altitude tracks was the benchmark. But... Um, you know, for the most part, Mercedes pretty much dominated. I mean, they've won eight straight constructors championships and up before that seven straight drivers. So when your teammate wins the driver's championship every year and you've got the best car, you should probably be second. Um, Fair point. And uh, he wasn't every season, although, you know, like you said, he was up there. It wasn't like he was, uh, you know, pulling a, a gas lead or an Albon in the second Red Bull seat. Um, and just way back there, you know, and, 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 you know, some of those years, I didn't, uh, map it exactly from what you said, but some of those years, um, you know, Vettel was a, a huge challenging force, I think in 2018. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's sort of understandable. Ferrari did have a good, good car, uh, uh you know, legality aside, uh, <clears throat> a good, good car and a good strong engine that year. Uh, you know, so, uh, Leclerc and Vettel were, 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 you know, a force to be reckoned with. So it's understandable, at least, at least that season. Yep. And uh, so he's won, he's won 10 Grand Prix, been on 67 podiums, so obviously just very experienced and very accomplished. And um, it was five years, correct? What's that? Five years he was with Mercedes, correct? Correct, since 2017. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, 10 wins over five seasons, there's a lot of drivers that would take that for a career, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, he certainly had some success, and he certainly pushed Hamilton. Um, you know, not as hard as Rosberg, but um, he pushed Hamilton in, in some respects and maybe helped elevate Hamilton to what he, you know, what he became. You know, I mean, it's pretty, uh, you know, Hamilton was at the top of his game, um, particularly as in the later seasons. And um, so yeah, he and certainly that, pushed Hamilton new, to new heights, I think. Um, right. I think that's fair. And I've seen some recently some gracious comments by Botas. I don't know if you saw these saying, you know, he really uh, – Considers it an honor to have raced with Hamilton and was, um, you know, like they motivated each other and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So, it's so it doesn't feel like sour grapes uh, with, his, with his departure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, um, eras like this when you have a dominant champion, um, you know, when Schumacher won how many titles in a row and Hamilton, it, it really does, uh, you know, sort of take that opportunity away from other drivers. In other words, in another era, maybe Bodas would have had a, a one world championship or, you know, um, or had more, more seasons when he really channeled for it. But, you know, when Hamilton's not only in the, on the, not only on the grid with you, when Hamilton's not only on the grid with you, but is also in the other seat, you know, it's pretty hard to, uh, to get too much yourself. Yeah. It's one of the interesting storylines of this season, I think, to see 
how he responds being, you know, the number one driver now after being clearly the uh, second seat uh, on Mercedes for five years. His results could get a little lost in the, you know, the poor performance at the at the back of the grid of the car. Um, but I certainly think it will be interesting to see how he if he can maybe elevate the team a little bit because um, he what on his day. Um, it, let's say both Hamilton and Botas on their day, he wasn't that far off of um, of Hamilton. Like I said, maybe a couple tenths, maybe a tenth. You know, Rosberg was probably half of the difference between Botas and um, B- Rosberg was probably also better at matching Hamilton's consistency. In other words, Hamilton has many, many good days. His best days, he his days are are very frequent. I think Rosberg was close to close to Hamilton in that. I think Botas had a lot less of those good days. But even on his best day, Hamilton was a little bit better. But it wasn't that big of a difference. And yeah. you know he could really ring almost as much out of the car as Hamilton could. Um, you know, and on some days more. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if he can elevate Alpha a bit um, by getting maybe that last few tenth out of the car that uh, you know maybe uh, an unmotivated Raikkonen wasn't. Uh, you know, there to get, or, you know, just later, Reichen is also later in his career, didn't quite have that maybe sharpness. Yeah. It was odd. It seemed, uh, I don't know what happened in Abu Dhabi. It just seemed like Botas didn't show up. I'm not sure what the issue was there, but he just was a non-factor. 2021, it just seemed like Verstappen and Hamilton just kept elevating each other to, you know, they just pushed each other to get the absolute maximum. And, you know, because Perez kind of figured out something midway of the year. He figured, I think he was chasing his own setups, and he figured he just had to learn how to drive Verstappen's. He did get mm. a little closer and started to get more consistent results near the front. Um, but, I mean, both Botas and Perez just kind of fell away. And they didn't really fall away. I think Hamilton and Verstappen just took that. Um, you know, I mean, yeah. his history will show just – how crazy the season that was, not just for the controversies, but those two guys were just, <clears throat> you know, it's like watching Jordan and. Right. I mean, 20 seconds up on the field. Yeah, Jordan laps and LeBron in or something. going against each other, right. you know, for a whole season. Yeah. Um, so I, I do, you know, it did seem like Botas kind of just disappeared um, and he got that 10th win. And there was thoughts, I think he, I, there were thoughts that maybe he'd get an 11th before he had to move on, mm-hmm. um, you know, because he probably won't have a lot of. He probably won't have any more opportunities to get very many wins unless they're a fluke win, you know. Um. Yeah, to that point, is is it an odd choice? It seems to me a slightly odd choice for Botas to go to Alfa Romeo, a team that's not in contention, unless they have some grand plan that he's aware of. But wouldn't he have had better choices? I mean, yes, he was on you know the team that had the best car, um, but he still had to perform with that car and he did um so he's clearly a talented capable driver with a lot of experience couldn't he have gone to a more competitive team i think uh, just timing his talent mm-hmm. certainly deserves that and i it's um you know the up and down the grid it's acknowledged how <clears throat> how much he got out of that car I'm, I'm sure um so but just the opportunities timing you know there wasn't any seats you know left and it was a you know it was a later than you would have expected an announcement. I mean, I would think he he must have known, you know, three years is way too long, I think, to keep Russell on the sidelines to begin with. But yeah. it was going to have to happen after this season, no matter how. I mean, unless he went out and won the world title this past year. Yeah. Um, so you think he knew. But, of course, until they actually announce it, he can't necessarily, you know, figure it out. 
so I think just opportunities. There weren't just weren't musical chairs. There weren't enough seats left, and you know that was yeah. that was it. It was that or Williams, right? What it came down to, and um, you know, going back to Williams was seen as like a, you know, Kimmy went back to Alpha. I don't know if it was still Sauber at the time when when he went back, but that's where he started his career and he ended it. So it would be the the fairy tale bookend. But mm-hmm. I don't think it, it matters really um, with the limited seats that were available between those two teams because. From what we talked about, you know, they're all in the same boat. They're already back there. How are they going to catch up? Yeah. Maybe now this season with the rule change could let that shuffle up, and that's one, one thing that's so exciting to look forward to. Uh, but, you know, for, for Botas, I, I, I just, you know, I think this is the winding down of his career, you know. Um, unless something, a big team gets a seat and needs a driver, like Perez got, you know, um, got sort of that magical opportunity. Unless, barring something like that, um, I think this is the winding down of Botas's career. So I don't think he has any more chances for wins, um, but it will be interesting to see if he can elevate Alpha a little bit um, yeah. because he's certainly not in the place in his career where Kimi was. Um, I think he's still very motivated, and I think he is still one of the, you know, better drivers on the grid. Um, whereas I think Kimi was kind of, you know, riding off into the sunset. Yep. Um, um, well, that's a good segue to talking about uh, Joe, Guan Yu Joe, because one of the reasons Alpha want, wanted someone as experienced as Botas Shirley was to help um, get Joe acclimated to F1 and serve as a mentor to him. Get him up to speed, yeah. Yeah. So Joe is 22 years old, born May 30th, 1999, and he's Chinese. He's going to be the first uh, Chinese F1 driver ever. So that's very exciting. Uh, great for F1, breaking into a huge market in China. And great for China. And, um, yeah, just be exciting to add, uh, you know, another country to the mix for the first time in F1's history. And, Charles, I know you did some digging into Joe's earlier racing career, including, of course, F2, but even uh, earlier than that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you learned? Um, so, Guan Yu Zhou uh, began his uh, motorsports career in go-karts, um, or in karts, I began his uh, motorsport career in karts at the age of eight. Um, now he's uh, Chinese, and he uh, was karting in China. Um, in 2012, he moved to Sheffield, England, to continue his karting career in Europe and had success pretty quickly. In 2013, he won two championships. In 2014, was a little more forgettable. He did have some success. I believe he was second in one championship. Um, He did also team with Lando Norris in the World Karting Championship. I think he only had a few entries into the actual um, FIA's World Karting Championship, but he did team with Lando Norris. so he had a pretty uh, long karting career. There was about five years karting in China, and then we see three years in England. So he had an eight-year karting career to build, build himself up. And by the time he went to yeah. England, he had at least a base in him, ready to step up, won a couple championships, shows his talent pretty, uh, pretty strong. Um, 2015, he moves to Italian F3. Now... Not the biggest F3 series. I don't know in 2015 what the state of Italian F3 was regarding, you know, the balance kind of shifts, but it's one of the smaller ones. It's not the European Championship. Um, He was vice champion 
and Rookie of the Year. Um, he did have a few wins, I believe. Um, so he was very successful in a kind of smaller pond. So in 2016 to 2018, he stepped up to the European F3 Championship, but his results were somewhat forgettable for those um, for those seasons. So he was 13th in his first season and 8th in his second season. And then he was only 8th in his third season. However, in 2018, he really did kind of begin to come to his own. Three poles, two wins, and although he was 8th, um, I think with two two weekends to go, two rounds to go in the championship, he was uh, second and just a point or two off the lead. And then he had a number of retirements in the remaining races. I think there were four remaining actual races number of retirements, uh, crashes, and other things that uh, caused him to slip to eighth. But three poles, two wins, starting to come to his own in F3. Which level? This is F3. And this is the European Formula 3 championship. Um, So now we step to 2019, 2021. Those are going to be three years in Formula 2. So Three years in Formula 2. Right. Obviously, the preferred route to Formula 2 is the Oscar Piastri One and done. Right. One and done. Dominate the championship. Walk away with it. Um, if you can't do that, you got two years, ought to win the championship in that second year if you're going to be in there two years. That's the Mick Schumacher route. Um, then you've got the Guangzhou route, uh, which was a little longer. So he spent three years in Formula 2. In 2021, he had quite a bit of success. Four wins, third in the championship. I think he had nine podiums. Um, what place did he finish in? Third, he was third. He ended up third okay. in the championship. Um, yeah, he led the championship for a long time, and um, I, did, I didn't go too much of a deep dive into his results in nineteen and twenty um, in terms of stats. But he, I do believe he had a win, at least one feature or sprint race win um, in at least one of those seasons. And he his results, if you look at it, kind of did gradually progress and get better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, now with Joe, three years in F two. Sounds a little longer to, to somebody like me because he started at eight in carts, had a long karting career, and he had three years in Formula 3. You know, there's guys that they do a year in Formula 3, they do a year in F2, they win the title both times. I mean, I think Russell did that. Uh, Russell might have been in F3 two years, but, you know, they sort of win the title every, every round up. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe didn't do that, so the three years in F2 – um, not winning the title even the last year. But he was a title contender, I believe, in the last two years, but definitely in 2021. Um, so, you know, on some schools of thought, why does it matter how long it takes you to get there? Right. As long as you get there, right? Sure. Um, but with him having a little bit uh, longer of a junior career before that, um, that starts to worry people, I think, or whatever. But let's just, let's just look at his F2 results. Last season, his best year... He was third in the championship, only 69 points behind the champion, four wins, nine podiums. What does that say to you as credentials? Does he deserve, does he deserve an F1 drive? It's a, it's a solid four, 22 races total, four wins, nine podiums. Very solid. And third place in the championship. So funding First, aside, yeah. would someone who, so let's say he had no funding, would a, a team manager look at those credentials, and do you think that says that's legitimate enough for someone to say we want this? This we're going to take a chance on this driver in Formula One. I think so, but it begs the question: Well, who were the two ahead of him, and what are they doing? Well, Oscar Piastri has to take a city year out, but he also kind of unexpectedly went through the ranks quickly, and his particular team sponsoring him, Alpine, didn't have a seat for him. 
Joe was a development driver for Alpine as well. Um, so he found a seat at Alfa Romeo. Okay. But Piastri doesn't have a seat, but he will, you know, next year. Yeah. Um, and who was second? I think it was, I believe it was Robert Schwartzman. Um, talented driver, does not have a seat. I believe he's no longer a Ferrari development driver. Um, we may see him end up in IndyCar like Callum Illit. Um, okay. But yeah, to answer your question, it sounds like, I mean, those are yeah. solid uh numbers to put up solid in an F2. Yeah. You'd feel like it's enough, right? Yeah. You know. Um it's it's enough to say he's legitimate, you know. It's not like he's he's qualified, let's say that. Um it is interesting you bring up who was second. Both Schwartzman and Calamillet um have credentials very similar to that. They've been um title contenders in F2 the last few years. Um and they 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 haven't been able to step up. Um so interesting comparison there, but 69 points behind the champion of F2. Yep. Can you guess another driver who's currently in Formula 1 who there is no question of his deserving a seat mm. who also <laughs> finished 68 points in this case behind the F2 championship in his best Formula 2 finish? Oh, interesting. And how many, how many years was that driver in Formula 2? If we know. Uh, I actually I don't know yet, and okay. we will get to this driver, so we will find that out when we get to that team. But uh, I don't have a good guess. It other was than in just two, a random I, guess. Um, I'm referring to 2018, okay. the 2018 Formula Two Championship, um, where George Russell, I believe, was the ah. champion. Oh, okay. And I'm referring. So, yeah, to, uh, I'm I, referring, I don't know. <laughs> okay. well, I'm referring to Lando Norris. Ah. So okay. I think. Putting aside length in F2, Joe's credentials compared to Lando Norris seem pretty much identical, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't know exactly where Joe's funding comes from. But as I understand it, he has big backing from China. Um, so there are going to be people that argue because of that he does not have the credentials. And that's why we're having this, you know, back and forth about is he, is he qualified? Because... Take that away. Take the, whatever money he brings to Alfa Romeo away. Did he have the credentials to get to F1 on the credentials alone? And if you think Norris did, it's hard to argue that he, that he doesn't. Yeah, um, really interesting. It's going to be uh, fun to watch how all of that shakes out. Some good storylines to watch. Can Botas uh, elevate the team? How is uh, Joe going to get acclimated? And then how's he uh, going to perform um, at this next level for him. And, uh, yeah, having China in the mix, that'll be, that'll be fun to watch as well. And how about predictions, Charles? Any predictions for Alpha or Botas or Joe? I think with the team, it's the same thing for Haas. You know, I don't expect much. I don't expect them to move too much further up the grid. Maybe they yeah. can drag themselves a place or two up. But I didn't feel like I also heard a lot about how they were preparing for this season. I mean, I'm sure I did, but not, not as much as – the other team so uh i don't personally expect much from them but um i think with the drivers um i'm gonna go ahead and make a the bold prediction with uh botas that he's gonna be the best version of himself um <laughs> this year um i'm sorry is that uh is that just marketing speak is that, <laughs> that not does actually seem a, prediction? a little fluffy it seems a little, it's a little fluffy. <laughs> it's his prediction though for for this year I see. um <laughs> Uh, I think Botas, Botas will have a strong uh, a strong year. I think he'll probably settle in pretty quickly, and he will, uh, um, you know, 
elevate the team, so to speak. I think I've said that a number of times in this episode, but um, but I think Joe is going to have a better year than people expect. Um, I I'm gonna my prediction for him is that he's going to have a, a a solid, if not spectacular, beginning that he builds on, and by the end of the year, he's um, doing pretty well and looking looking like he's got um, potential. Um, you know. Maybe matching Botas, maybe on a time or two yeah. outperforming him. But uh, if he could just get close to, to Botas, I think he'll be doing pretty well. But the, I think he's going to do better than people expect. Excellent. Um, I'm going to add one more thing to this episode. I just want to say on a personal note, I am not okay with referring to Kevin Magnuson as K-Mag. Uh, mm. I just watched the highlights of day two of testing and um, the official Formula One feed or whatever it is are now calling him k-mag don't like it kind of like j-lo a-rod but yeah i'm with you on that i don't like that and it sounds it sounds like kmart k-mag that will do it for us today for the f1 runoff area podcast thank you for joining us we've now completed haas and alfa romeo we'll continue our march up the grid next time and please join us as we profile and preview Williams and Aston Martin. Hope to see you soon.